0: It is just so, so special to be here. You know, one of the things I love about Pastor Paul and Ashley, and specifically Paul, knowing him now for over 15 years, as I've witnessed God's hand on his life, no matter what season he finds himself in or what influence God's given him, he always remains the same, humble, authentic, full of integrity, passionate, incredible leader. And I just, I so love him. I, I could not have more admiration Love, honor, and my heart for the entire Daughtery family. Caleb and Sarah, we've shared so many incredible memories together around the world, and, um, and victory will always be a very special place for me. Like Ashley said, I was a volunteer in the youth ministry every Wednesday night while I was a student at ORU, and, you know, I believed that there was a grace on this house that came on my life. How many people know there's a grace on this church there's a grace for miraculous provision. How many people know we're worshiping God in a debt-free building? There's a grace for reproducing leaders. There's a grace for nations on this house. And as amazing as it is to listen to podcasts and attend conferences, how many people know you don't receive the anointing you're around, you receive the anointing you come under. And when you plant in the house, there's simply no substitute for it. So why don't you give yourself a big round of applause for being at church on a Wednesday night tonight. You're looking amazing. Everybody knows the best looking people on the face of the earth are here in the Midwest. Would you you turn to your neighbor and say this after me, say, if it wasn't for you, I'd be the best looking person in church tonight for sure. And to your neighbor on the other side, say this after me real quick, say, I prayed all week, I'd sit by you for sure. Did anyone come hungry for the word of God tonight? We're gonna begin in Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Verse 19, for all creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation itself was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you that eye has never seen, ear has never heard. It's never even entered the heart of humanity, which you have prepared for us who love you. Lord, we thank you that you didn't come to make bad people good, you came to make dead people alive. And I thank you that as your word is proclaimed tonight, you're calling to life the eternal purposes of God over each and every person in the building. We position ourselves for you to encounter us tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, you know, everything we enjoy in creation began instantaneously, with a simple four-word command. When God said, let there be light, the universe came into existence. And what's incredible is the universe is still submitting to that command. For the last hundred years, it's been scientifically verifiable that the universe continues to expand. It continues to obey those four words by the Creator. It's actually expanding at a rate from the latest astronomical findings. It's, it's, it's expanding at a rate of 500 kilometers per second. How many people know that's fast? But not only per second, per megaparsec, which is 3.3 million light years. That's how fast the universe is continuing to obey the voice of the Creator. And the Earth that humanity resides in was given to us by God. In fact, God wanted us to have the planet. And in Psalms chapter 115, verse 16, it says, the heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. And God basically said to Adam, here's the earth, it's yours. Lead it, govern it, influence it, manage it. I'm giving it to you. But after the fall of man, after Adam's rebellion, the earth itself fell under a curse. Sin-stained creation. And for centuries, creation had lived under the weight of that sin. And creation had witnessed for generations the implications of humanity's fallen state. Think about this for a moment. Creation was there when there was a murder in the first family. Creation witnessed when Israel forsook the Lord and started to worship false gods. Creation was there, the mountains, the vegetation, the rivers, the earth itself was there as mankind's greed drove them to war generation after generation after generation. Createness, creation has witnessed the injustice, the abuse, the pain perpetrated for generations, and creation's witnessed the devastation, the consequences of the curse and its effects. On the human soul and creation itself the earth is groaning for those who have been redeemed and renewed and cleansed and liberated to be revealed we read in the opening text for all creation waits in eager expectation creation itself is waiting for the church And tonight, I simply want to describe the church that creation has been waiting for for generations. Number one, tonight, I believe creation is waiting for a prevailing church. In Colossians 2.14, Paul reminds the church, he says, he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross, See, we have to remember when Jesus died, before he ascended, the Bible says he first descended. And when he descended, he captured the keys of authority back. See, when Adam sinned, although the earth was given to you and me, we actually relinquished our leadership of it. We relinquished our authority of it. And although God's original intention was that humanity would lead it, would own it, would govern it. When we sinned, we gave up our right and our authority to lead it. So Jesus dies, and before he ascends, he descends. He recaptures the keys of authority. And check this out, holding the keys of authority in his hands, he says these words. All authority in heaven, but not just on heaven, also here on the earth, has been given back to me. And holding the keys of authority in his hands, he says to his disciples, he says to his followers, he says to his church, he says, therefore, because I've reclaimed authority of the earth for you, now I'm giving you your mandate. In the context of reclaiming your authority, he said, go into all the world and make disciples of entire nations. Now, I don't believe the Great Commission was given simply so that the church would go or so that the church would grow. If that were the case, Jesus might have said, go into all the world and add converts. See, I don't believe at its core the Great Commission was simply a mobilization mandate. It wasn't given. Jesus didn't just give us the Great Commission so that we would go. He said, I want you to go into all the world and not just make converts, but actually make disciples of nations. Now, if I'm gonna take an individual on a discipleship journey, I have to purpose in my heart that I'm going to lead that individual, right? So if I'm gonna take a nation on a discipleship journey, how many people know that means the church must lead nations? See, I believe the Great Commission wasn't simply a mobilization mandate, but it was actually a leadership mandate. The Great Commission wasn't given simply so that the church would go or so that the body of Christ would grow. The Great Commission was given so that the church Would lead. Gone are the days that people get saved and hide in a church building once a week and wait for the rapture. How many people know it's time for the church to be found all over the place? It's time for the church to lead in government. It's time for the church to lead in media. It's time for the church to lead in education. It's time for the church to lead in athletics and sports. How many people know it's time for the church to be found everywhere? He gave us the keys of authority and he said, lead. Now sometimes the enemy has amnesia. He thinks, you know, media and Hollywood, that that still belongs to me. But Jesus said when he died, Paul said he disarmed spiritual rulers and authority. He disengaged them. So although The enemy has power, it's illegal power. I love this picture we get in Exodus chapter seven, verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did what the Lord had commanded them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh called in his own wise men and sorcerers and these Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. They threw down their staffs, which also became serpents, but then Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. So you remember this moment when Moses is standing before Pharaoh, Aaron by his side, and they throw Aaron's rod to the ground, it becomes a snake, and Pharaoh says, you know what, my people have power too. And he calls his magicians to the scene, and you remember they threw down the stick. But all of a sudden, Moses and Aaron's rod begins to consume the rod of the magicians. And that's a picture, because legal authority always overtakes illegal power. And all the, although the enemy still has power, how many people know it's the church that holds the keys? It's the church that has been given a mandate to rule. It's the church that's been given the right to disciple and influence the whole world. Never forget last summer when we were in the nation of Nicaragua and the vision of One Nation One Day, of course, is the impact every sector of society to reposition the church to lead the nation We were sitting with some of the leading spiritual fathers in the country and some of the other significant leaders across the country, and we said one of the key vision points of One Nation One Day is we have to speak to the government. So we want to organize a political leadership conference. Several of the pastors said, Dominic, I I understand that took place in Honduras and the Dominican Republic, but you don't understand Nicaragua. There's no way you will speak to Ortega's government. There's no way you're gonna be able to gather political leaders in this political environment. And they started to walk through all the reasons why it was completely impossible. I said, you know what, what we need to do is we still need to rent the nicest indoor conference center in the country, and let's put a deposit down on that space, and let's continue to just act like it's going to happen. Well, all the way for months during our lead up in the journey, they were saying, time and time again, week after week, month after month, you don't understand, this is impossible. It cannot, it will not happen. You will not speak to President Ortega's government. Even on Monday, when we arrived for the week of One Nation, one day with the conference planned for Friday, they said, it's not gonna happen. I'll never forget on Wednesday morning, I got a phone call. They said, we cannot believe it. El Comandante, they don't call him the president, they call him the commander. They said, El Comandante has ordered 400 of his government personnel to go to the political leaders conference. And then we got there on Friday morning and I was sitting in the green room and one of the pastor's... Uh, daughters runs into the room with tears in her eyes. She said, in my entire life, I never s- witnessed this, nor did I dream it possible. There are 820 government personnel in that room. Every member of Congress, every member of the Supreme Court, every mayor from every city, the commanders of the army, the entire government is in the room. S- Sammy Rodriguez got up and preached this brilliant message, and then I, I took the platform, and for 20 minutes, Gave a clear gospel message and said, Who wants to call on the name of Jesus for salvation? And I watched 820 members of a government stand to their feet and call on the name of Jesus for salvation. How many people know we have legal authority? How many people know we've been commissioned to lead? And I believe creation is waiting for a church that has a revelation that we've got the keys. I think creation is waiting for a church who carry a deep and profound conviction that we belong in the room. And we don't just belong in every room and in every spirit. We have actually been mandated to lead it. Somebody say it's time for the church to lead. Number two this evening, I believe creation waits for a prophetic church. Somebody say prophetic church. I love Jeremiah 1 6. Oh, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah says, I can't speak, I'm too young. The Lord replies, Do not say, I am too young, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you, and don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. Then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, I've put my words in your mouth. Today I appoint you to stand up against nations. Isn't it easy whenever God begins to uncover our assignment to inventory the reasons why we're disqualified? Obviously for Jeremiah, it was his youth. God, don't you understand? We live in a patriarchal society Only the elders' words carry any weight. Only the elders have respect. Who's going to listen to a young person, God? And God says back to Jeremiah, do not say, I am too young. For you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I command you. And then he says something amazing. He says, Jeremiah, today I'm touching your mouth. I'm, I'm touching your mouth, and I'm going to give you the ability to stand up against nations. See, even as we gather here tonight, the enemy would want to tell us all the reasons why we can't. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm unemployed. I'm disqualified for this reason. I'm disqualified. For, I'm, a, I'm a residential real estate agent. I'm, I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm, I'm still in school. I'm There's all these different reasons why we'd wanna fill in the blank and say why we can't step into our mandate and God would say back to us I do not say. For tonight I am touching your mouth. I'm touching your mouth and I wanna cause you to be able to stand up against nations. With a revelation of these words, I'll never forget at 26 years of age, for those of you who are new in the One Nation One Day story, I was found myself in the office of the president of Honduras. And I said, Mr. President, I know your nation's in pain, unemployment's over 40%. They're calling Honduras the world's murder capital because you have the highest homicide rate per capita than in any other nation outside of a war zone. But what if, in part, Isaiah was speaking to this moment in your history, when in Isaiah 66, 8, the prophet asked the question, can a nation be saved in one day? Mr. President, what if all of Honduras could be changed, could be healed, could be saved in one day? I said, I believe this vision's to begin in Honduras, but we can only begin, many of you will recall the story, if you'll agree to these five things. Number one, would you stand with me on Saturday, July 20, 2013, and together from the nation's capital, we'll speak to the nation. Number two, would you pass legislation through your Congress calling One Nation One Day an official national holiday? Number three, would you open up the ports and borders and allow us to ship 18 container loads of humanitarian aid and books without any taxes or hang-ups at the borders? Number four, would you open up every public high school in the nation and allow our global missions teams to come to a one-hour school-wide assembly with an altar call? And number five, would you give us the 18 largest stadiums in the capital cities of all 18 states at no cost to us and help us call the nation to their capital cities? I didn't know what the president was gonna say, but at the end of the meeting, he signed a resolution committing to those things. (laughs) Several people said it's one thing to get the Honduran president on board. There's no way this legislation would pass through a Catholic-controlled Congress. Six months later, the bill passed unanimously through Congress, and one nation one day with all five of those provisions became law in the country. How many people know he's touching our mouth? It's time to speak to nations. It's time to take our place. How many people know we belong in the room? When we step into an environment, when we step into a city, when we step into a community, when we step into a sphere of influence or a place or a space, we have to live with this profound conviction that we are the ones that are holding the keys, I remember when we maxed out all the commercial flights into the country, and we needed to charter a 747. They said, we're sorry, Mr. Russo, there's no way you're gonna land a 747. No 747's ever landed in Honduras in the history of the nation. That demands a category seven airport, and this is San Pedro Sula only has a category six. How many people know we are holding the keys? We told them we have to have a category seven. They said utterly and completely impossible. 60 days later, they were ordering extra emergency response equipment, extending runways, and officially reclassifying the airport as a category seven to be able to receive for the first time in the nation's history a 747. On the one year anniversary, I sat with the new president of Honduras. He said these words One nation, one day was the most spectacular moment in the nation's history. Violence has diminished nationwide by 38.2%. For the first time in 25 years, there have been no teacher strikes. We have a brand new nation. It was incredible. And I believe right now, God's saying, It's time for my church. To speak It's time for my church to open up their mouth, to raise their voice. What does it mean to prophesy? We 'd be mistaken to reduce prophecy to simply mean talking about the future, because prophecy, in its most basic, foundational truth, it, it's really communicating God's heart, or speaking on God's behalf. I love Jeremiah 20, verse 9, because the same Jeremiah who says, God, I I can't speak for you, I'm too young, would later write these words. In Jeremiah 20, verse 9, if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak his name, his word burns in me like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I'm worn out, trying to hold in. I can't do it. Isn't it amazing? The same Jeremiah who said, God, I can't speak for you, is now saying, Lord, if I don't open up my voice, I'm going to explode. I don't know, I think some of you tomorrow morning, you're gonna be standing next to the same coworker you've been standing next to for 11 years, but something's gonna arise on the inside. You're gonna say, you know what? I, I can't hold it in anymore. I've gotta tell you about the love of Jesus. I, you'll be, you'll be in, in class sitting next to the same person you've sat next to uh, for, for two years in high school, but some, something's gonna come up on the inside where you say, you know what? I can't hold it in. I've got to communicate God's heart. I've gotta prophesy. How many people know it's time for the church to raise its voice? It's time for us to find our voice. We don't have to be timid, we don't have to be ashamed, we don't have to be bullied into submission. It's time for the people of God to speak and to speak loudly and to speak with authority. All creation's waiting for our voice. Number three tonight, I believe creation is waiting for a productive church for a productive church. Jesus tells a powerful story. He said, I'll read the first part, then summarize the rest. He said in Matthew 25, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He calls together his servants and entrusts them with money. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags to another, one bag to another. The servant who received the five bags began to invest it and earn five more. The servant with two bags went to work and earned two more, but the servant who received one bag dug a hole and hid the master's money. If you continue reading in the text, the master comes back after his journey. And to the one who takes the five and earns five more, the master praises him. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with five. You are faithful with what I've entrusted to you. Now enter into your reward. To the servant he gave two bags of silver to, he says, well done. You were faithful with the two. Now you're gonna get, and you've made it four. You can enter into your reward. But now the servant who received one bag, the scripture says he buried it because he was afraid. And amazingly, when the master returns, he says, bind the man and throw him in prison. Didn't you know I was looking for a return on my investment? Didn't you know I was looking for you to multiply and steward what I entrusted you with? And sometimes when I read that story, I think, you kind of feel bad for the guy with one bag of silver, right? I mean, at least the guy with two bags of silver had two, and the guy with five, but this guy, this is his only bag. And he thinks to himself, I need to play it a little bit safe, because this is all I've got and so I'm not going to leverage any risk. I'm not going to take any steps of, of courage. I'm not going to do anything that will really rock the boat. I'm just going to stay neatly in my lane. I'm going to hold on to what I've got because after all, I've only got one. And in some ways, you could kind of follow that logic. But as I began to reread it, I saw, you know, That really is an irrelevant point because if that man was faithful with the one bag of silver, God would begin to breathe on it and bless it and he would have had two bags. And then if he would have held these two bags in his hand and been faithful to leverage what God entrusted to him, God would have blessed it and it would have become four. Now he's got four bags of silver and if he would have been very faithful, extremely faithful with the four, and continue to take steps of courage, continue to leverage risk, that four would have become eight. Now he's got eight bags, and if he was faithful, 16. From 16, then he would have been able to move to 32. Now he's got 32 bags of silver, and he said, you know what? I'm pushing it all in again. We're going to risk again. We're leveraging it all again. It would have become 64. Now he's got 64, which would have been 128. Then 128 to 256. Then 256 to 562. Now he's got 562 bags of silver because he was faithful with what was first placed in his hand. So you can't determine where you start in life. You can't determine what unfair treatment you've experienced, what abuse or injustice was perpetrated against you. You can't determine your family of origin, where you were born, what circumstances that surrounded you when you were born, what community you found yourself in, but I can tell you one thing. You can purpose in your heart that you're gonna be extremely faithful with what he's put in your hand right now. And then you can say, you know what, I'm not just going to hold on to what I've got. I'm going to take the next step of faith and fill it with courage, fill it with risk, and I'm going to the next level. And then I'm going to stand in that new space, and I'm going to march courageously and boldly to the next place. Then I'm going to plant myself there, and I'm going to take another step of faith. Then I'm going to plant myself there, and I'm going to keep multiplying everything he puts in my hand. I'm going to be extremely faithful with it. I'll never forget this last year. We were finished with, uh, we were about to, to leave for One Nation, One Day Nicaragua. This was our third One Nation, One Day campaign. And I heard the Holy Spirit say in Miami, He said, I want you to an- announce the next nation. I said, Lord, we haven't started all the formal meetings in, in that country. He named the country. And I thought, Lord, there's got to be a few nations between Nicaragua and Peru. I mean, Nicaragua's seven million people, Peru's 30 million people. It's really like three nations in one because you have the coast, the big city, which is the city, the mountain, which is kind of classic Latin America. Then you have the jungle, the Amazon region. All three different cultures, all three different lifestyles, all three different blocks. And it's really like all three 1M1Ds we've done in one because it's 30 million people. Geographically, larger, most of Central America. I said, Lord, how are we going to go from Central America all the way to Peru to such a significant country? Lima is like a first world city. It's the second most populous city in the Western Hemisphere at 11 million people. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, I want you to believe me for a team of 5,000 missionaries. I thought, Lord, We brought 2,800 to Nicaragua, and to bring 2,800, I invited everyone I'd ever met in my entire life. (laughs) And he said, and I want you to believe me, not only for 5,000 missionaries globally, but I want you to register a team in Peru of 5,000 missionaries where they would actually register, just like the global team, pay for their expenses, their bus rides, their lunches, their t-shirt. They would train with their local churches and you're gonna have the Peruvian team members do the altar calls in their own high schools. You're gonna have the Peruvian team members not just be translators, they're going to be missionaries within their nation. And the team will be a team of 10,000 people. I said, Lord, that means we're basically going to have to leverage absolutely everything all over. We're going to have to risk everything to pull this off. He said, exactly. And as we began to pray, we began to sense one of the words God said, in my, said to me. He said, what happens in Peru will set in motion the next decade. And I thought, Lord, it's probably because of the size of Peru and the success of Peru. And now I've seen over the last nine months, it's not because of that. It's because what happens in Peru is going to result in a global promotion for the body of Christ. I believe the faithfulness of the church in Peru will result in a global promotion for the body of Christ. And Then I began to hear, The pastor of the largest church in Mongolia is coming to One Nation One Day Peru to get a vision for One Nation One Day Mongolia. The pastor of the largest church in Cambodia is coming to One Nation One Day Peru to get a vision for One Nation One Day in Cambodia. The pastor of the largest church in Ecuador is coming to One Nation One Day Peru to get a vision for One Nation One Day. The pastor of the largest church in Venezuela is coming to Peru to get a vision for one. There are global leaders coming literally from the four corners of the earth. The pastor of the largest church in New Zealand is coming to get a vision for One Nation One Day in New Zealand, and I, if you can capture the heart of God tonight, what we're going to do together is not about even a moment, it's not even about a nation, it's about God's heart for nations. If we were to be honest, for 2,000 years, the body of Christ has been dividing. Think about it. From from 300 AD till now, there's been more splintering, more factoring, more groups, more denominations. How many people know the world has yet to see the power of a united church? But if there was anything to unite around, how about we unite around the salvation and transformation of nations? How about we unite around laying entire nations at the feet of Jesus and keeping them there until eternity? I think that's worth uniting for. And that's why I'm so honored to be in covenant with a church like Victory. In covenant, everybody gives something up to gain something collectively they could never get individually. And we're gonna give up our egos, our labels, our logos. The people of Peru will not know the name Dominic Russo. They'll definitely not know the, the ministry missions.me, but they will know there was a moment in history when the body of Christ globally collapsed on the country to move the church forward, to make it impossible for every single person breathing air in Peru to not have access to the gospel in the span of 10 days. How many people think it's a good idea? I'm telling you, if you've never been on a missions trip before, you say, but that's like over $2,000. Believing God for your missions trip registration be the smallest thing you ever do on your faith journey if you'll start now if you'll start now if you'll start to say you know what i'm gonna leverage some risk i'm gonna put my hundred dollars down i'm gonna start the conversation with my employer i'm gonna get babysitters and it's i'm going to we're bringing my family on this i'm bringing my 12 year old on my but you begin to write down what you want to do you know what god's gonna do he's gonna bless the work of your hand. And he's gonna do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything you could have possibly ever imagined. 40% of our missions team to Nicaragua was over the age of 40. This is not just for teens and 20, this is for families, this is for retirees, this is for the entire church to come together and lay an entire nation at the feet of Jesus. I believe with all of my heart that we're not just standing in a new season as the body of Christ. Seasons are a glimpse of something we've seen before. It's about to be fall in Tulsa, and you know what's gonna happen in fall because you've lived through it before. The Temperatures will drop, the leaves will change. I don't believe we're simply entering into a new season as the church. I believe we're actually standing in a new era And in this new era, God is moving on his people and through his people as never before in human history. One of the things I so appreciate about victory is you know the difference between gathering as the church and being the church. We gather as the church because Christ commanded us to. We gather as the church because the office of the local pastor was God's idea. But we have to be careful not to find our favorite seat, stare at the platform, and subconsciously conclude that everything that happens on this platform is church. When in reality, what happens on this platform really isn't fully church. I believe church doesn't really even begin until the moment we leave the building. See, what happens on this platform is actually empowerment and training to go be the church. How many people know being the church is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Being the church is leading where God's put a grace on your life to lead. Being the church is taking territory where God's put grace on your life to take territory and reflecting the kingdom of God in that space. And God wants to promote, elevate, escalate, accelerate destiny. He's, he wants to put his hand on your hand. And when God puts his hand on your hand, you cannot fail. He's ready because we're the ones that are holding the keys. As we gather tonight, creation is waiting. The creator is waiting. Heaven is waiting. What are we waiting for? This is our moment. Would you stand to your feet with me tonight, church?